Good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah? I feel like my year is now officially starting seeing all your lovely faces. It's uh, the end of January, though, which is crazy. So uh, I don't know about you, but I always feel like January is such a strange time because when you talk and say, yeah, well, last year I did this, you actually mean like two years ago because you still don't realize you're in a new year. But I am excited for this year. There's something stirring. I feel like uh, worship and, of course, what Michael was sharing was just so spot on. I feel like it's not just new because we're in a calendar new year, but I do feel like God is, he has been doing something deep, something below the surface, underground kind of vibes the last two years. And we've had, you know, the pruning and the Sabbath and all the words that came through. But now we're, we're kind of on the cusp of almost like the release of all the things God did in our hearts the last two years. And it gets me excited. I get excited to see uh, the, the levels of trust that I dug in with the Lord and the things that happened in the quiet place, the secret place. A lot of us, you know, we were at home or we were working from home or fellowshipping on, at home online. And I feel like there was a lot of things that happened in the last two years outside of the pandemic that were difficult, painful even. But uh, with the kingdom, with the way God has invited us into his way of operating, uh, grief leads to joy. And that's what Jesus promised the disciples. So I just anticipate joy, not just because it's like a biblical principle, but I feel like there's things that you have really conversed with the Lord in a secret place. And I just want to say it matters. God sees you. He understands. And don't underestimate the way you have allowed the last two years to shape your heart as you've clung to God. Even if you've clung to God reluctantly, you have clung. <laughs> and that's all that needs to happen. And God's so, he's so faithful. I really believe that the faithfulness of God is, is not just beyond generations or not just something we will fully immerse ourselves into in heaven. But the faithfulness of God is seeing his goodness here in the land of the living. Amen? Amen. Cool. Well, I want to start today by just kicking off with my uh, topic. And the topic is going to be knowing your true identity. Thank you, Noah. This is going to be the only slide. So um, there's nothing else that's going to happen. You're going to be looking at this for the rest of the time. But knowing your true identity, becoming a person of truth. I really felt like this was a... Um, a lordship moment for me to speak on this topic. I actually have another topic that I feel more prepared for and more, I would say, experienced sharing in front of a crowd, but the Lord just impressed this very clearly on me. And so I'm kind of in a, a leadership moment with God where he's doing this with me this morning, of course, but I feel like there's something that is on his heart, maybe for one or two of you or all of you, on this topic. Identity is so important, you guys so important. I never thought much of identity growing up. It wasn't really a topic I heard in uh, my youth groups or I never heard it even when I did my training with missions, but it's something that I feel like when I have discovered this topic and really dove into it, I realized that God has been speaking to me about identity my entire life. <laughs> so I want to just start by going over what we, so I guess what sometimes we come to believe about identity. Like when I say identity, what do you think of, you know? You think about ID or a driver's license or our name or our profile pic on Instagram or our bio. All kinds of things want to define our identity. But identity is really um, about truth. And we are called to be people of truth. And the truth sets us free. It's, it's, the truth sets us free to be who God's called us to be. It sets us free to love 
the way God has called us to love, and it also sets us free to receive God's love, knowing that it's undeserving and that's okay because God loves us anyways. We can actually open our hearts up to, the truth has a way of opening our hearts to walk in alignment with who God is. So I'm just going to start with a few things here. If you only feel loved or worthy of love because of your job, your looks, or your intelligence, then that is where you define your identity. We want to be prettier, smarter, funnier, or more of whatever it is that will make us feel desired, valued, or loved. We describe ourselves by our job, our education, our relationship status, even our sexuality. We define ourselves by who we want to sleep with. There's lots of things that want to define who you are as a person. But God wants to be the one who defines you because only God can give you your identity. Your identity is one of truth. When you base your identity on external things, you build your life on fragile worth. You are opening yourself up to be insecure and shaken because external things change constantly. If there's one thing the last two years has taught us is that everything changes. So if you only feel good about yourself because of your job, that is shaky ground because jobs can change. If you only feel loved because of your looks, looks change. And not everybody has the same taste in looks. So you know these are fragile things that we build our identity on and they're things that can be shaken, but we're called to put our identity on truth. I wanna tell a story. So when I speak on the topic of identity, it's sometimes not something I introduce this clearly. It's sometimes I'm speaking on a different topic like the gospel or lordship or even evangelism. But it always comes up because God wants to tell us who we are and he wants us walking in our true identity. And right before COVID hit in 2019, I was speaking on a, a YWAM school and we had this amazing class full of all these different nationalities. We had these two guys on this school, I was overseas, that were from Australia. And now I knew they were Australians. As soon as I got up to speak, I picked them in the crowd. They just looked like the two surfers. And I was like, you two, where are you from? And they're like, Australia. And I'm like, I know, where Australia? And they were from the sunny coast. They were brothers. During the end of that week, we had um, a ministry time. And God just led us into this ministry time. And you know, we're praying and we're just moving with where God's leading us in the class that morning. And one of these Australian guys, the oldest brother, he, he comes up and he shares what God's doing in his life and he says to me, you know, I think I'm going, no, I'm going to shave my head. And I was like, okay. Now he had long blonde hair down to his elbows. All right, so I was thinking to myself, I don't know how you got that from my last four days of teaching, but <laughs> please explain it to me. And as he shared, he was like, you know, I have realized that my hair, as silly as this sounds, has become my identity. It's the one thing that everybody compliments. It's the one thing that everyone likes about me. And there's a lie that's come in that said that, you know, I'm only gonna get a girlfriend if I have this cool hair. And, you know, it's, it's so humbling for him to share that. It's so honest. But it's also so accurate of how identity can form and how we can attach ourselves to these things that aren't who we are. And they're not even sometimes bad things. It's not bad to have long blonde hair. It's fine, right? But it's putting that in place of your true identity and that being the definition of your worth and your value. And so I remember looking at him and just thinking, wow, this is a real, this is a real moment. And he did, he shaved his head. And I remember just thinking, 
as he made that commitment and decided to do that, that there was going to be such freedom in his life to really receive love and to know that he is loved, not because of how he looks, not because of something as simple as his long blonde hair, which is an attractive thing, but because of who God says he is. He's loved. And so that to me was such a clear example of what it means to have, you know, this strong identity. I want to tell you another story now. Now this story is kind of funny, but kind of sad. All right, so just a heads up. So my sister, she used to catch the bus from where we lived into Newcastle Mall, Hunter Street Mall, and she would work at a, a surf shop in there. So she would catch the bus every morning and every afternoon. And the particular bus route that she caught was kind of iconic. Like there was a Twitter account for this bus account, like this bus, sorry, number, because there was just always something weird happening on this bus. Just went through a couple of fun neighborhoods. And I would always like enjoy hearing about what had happened on the bus that day. Like she would come home and be like, you'd never believe it. Like, you know, someone did this today or someone did that today. And it would be hilarious. But one day she came home and she told me this story about how a gentleman hopped on the bus and he sat next to her and he was what, you know, we would call a bogan, I guess. And he was sitting next to her and he's just trying to, you know, kind of chat her up and talk to her. And she said, you know, I kept, I was trying to be nice, but I kept, looking out the window, giving him short answers. It didn't probably help him that he had an open bottle of beer in a brown paper bag and um, was enjoying his beverage while he was trying to talk to my sister, but she said that he just wouldn't pick up the hint. So she just ended up just sitting there and just really quite tried to close the conversation down. Eventually he did pick up a case. She's not really going there. And she said that he just stopped and he sighed and he said to her, you know, I used to be really good looking. And she just laughed and was like, that's great. You know, what do you say? <laughs> but I, I remember hearing that story and thinking, that's such a good example of identity. You know, we're used to operating a certain way with a certain truth that does expire because it's not truth that's based on who God says we are. And that's, that can be as silly as our looks, but it can also be as important as, you know, the careers we choose, or the people we date, or the places we live. There's so many things that want to define and tell us who we are. But God has a lot to say on identity. He has a lot to say on identity. First of all, God created mankind. You know, he spoke all these things into existence, but then he formed mankind. And, and you know, in Psalm 139, it says that he knits us together in the womb. God's involved in our identity. He breathes his spirit into our identity. All throughout the Bible, God is calling people by name. He's giving people new names, Abraham and Sarah. You know, like he gives these names that want to shape who he says and who he sees them to be. We look at uh, Jesus calling the disciples by name and even giving Peter a new name. You know, Peter, the one who runs away and the one who crumples and is quite fragile under pressure, becomes the rock in Acts and steps up from the same situation in Acts chapter 2 that he ran away from in the Gospels with fear. So God called him out and was like, I know you love me, Peter, but this love has to grow to an agape love. Otherwise, you're going to be so shaken and so insecure. So if we're looking at scriptures on identity, my favorite verse on identity would have to be Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And I'll read it out for us here. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice 
from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I just think that's such a strong example of identity in the word of God. And what's really powerful about this is it was public, is that God was giving Jesus his true identity. It's not that he didn't have an identity before, but God was publicly affirming the identity of his son, you know, that he was a father, that, that Jesus was his son. But there's this other part where God talks about his love. He says, even in, in translations originally, beloved, which means esteemed, dear, favorite, and worthy of love. Jesus hadn't really done anything yet except grow up. He just grew up. It says, you know, last we ever hear from him is growing in wisdom and favor with man in Nazareth. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't performed signs and wonders. He didn't have any crowds or status or people acknowledging him as anything special or important. He was a tradie doing life and stepping about to step into and commissioning his calling that God was just affirming who he was and that he belonged in the kingdom. And I think that when I was praying about this message, that this is something God wants to do to some of us today, is that we need to actually stop listening to lies and stop listening to opinions. I mean, in a world full of opinions, which one is correct in you, hey? But God wants to actually have us tune into his voice and have him like affirm our identity. Our identity is not based on what you're achieving or what you're performing or what you've done. It's not based on your behavior. And that's good news. It's not based on your past. You know, I remember in high school, some of my friends would do one thing at a party and they would have to wear that for the rest of the year. It's not fair, but it's also not true. It might have happened, it might be something that did, but truth isn't just a collection of facts. It's not an opinion, it's not a weapon. Truth, according to the Bible, is a person. And we are called to be in relationship with truth and God calls us to be people of truth. That doesn't mean that, you know, people of truth, okay, so I'm not going to be dishonest anymore and I'm not going to tell any lies. No, it also means not to live any lies as well. And it means to be in relationship. Truth in itself is relational. The Bible teaches us that truth is a person. You know, God's word is truth and that word has flesh. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So identity is based on truth and we really need to experience truth. I love what Michael said this morning about, you know, going from the head to the heart. That gap is always going to be experience. I can tell you all about a good coffee shop, or I can tell you all about a good beach to go visit to, and you can probably like believe me because hopefully you trust that what I say is true, but you're not really going to be witness to that until you go to that coffee shop or you go to that beach and then you've experienced it, and then you actually know it's true. And God wants to give us an experience of truth. I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable with you now and tell you that I have this little story about this that I think will bring it really clear. A couple of years ago, actually more like 10 years ago now, God was really speaking to me about my identity and he started just hitting on this topic of identity and identity and identity. And I'd actually had a few situations happen in my life that were quite painful and had a lot of opinion around them. And I remember just being very confused and not sure, okay, God, like, why did this happen? What's going on? And really questioning, I would say, even my value. And so God, in my quiet time one morning, gave me this, what I call, identity statement. It was a true statement. And I remember writing it down on a piece of paper, and I felt like the Lord led me to, to put it on my wall next to my bed. So when I wake up in the morning, I would see this identity statement. It was just like, 
kind of one sentence. So I wrote this identity statement on my wall and I made this commitment that for that year, I would wake up and I would read this identity statement out. Now, just being vulnerable with you a little bit further, when I first woke up the, the first morning and went to read this out, I felt so stupid. Like, I remember being like, oh, this is so lame. Like, kind of weird. No one's in the room with me. I just was embarrassed for myself. And I was thinking, why am I doing this? Like, this is, I don't know, this is this weird? Like, anyone ever thought that? Don't put your hands up, okay? You don't have to. But you have those moments where you're like, is this weird when you're doing something? <laughs> right? So I was like, this is kind of weird. I don't know anyone else who's done something like this. But I had a strong conviction from God that it was important. So I stuck with it. And I did it every morning. Eventually, you know, it became easier to do. And I just kept it up. And it got to the point where it just became part of my normal. It was like I was just doing it. And I was asked to speak at this uh, kind of like uh, combined camp, like a conference. And I remember getting up and I was speaking on identity and I was speaking about true statements and I just knew the Holy Spirit was his voice because it wasn't something I wanted to do. He was like, just tell them about your identity statement, Sarah. And I was like, well, that's a good idea. That'd be a really clear example. So I'm in front of this crowd of people, I think it's like 200 people, and I, I just go straight into it. And I think, you know, I'm just gonna tell them. I was like, so here's my identity statement. And I go into it and I start with, I am loved. And I just start crying. <laughs> like it was like not building up, it was really left field. I just said the first word in my, first few words in my identity statement. And as soon as I said it, I just, it was like I heard myself say it in front of 200 witnesses and it hit different. And as soon as I heard myself crying, my, my sweet friends in the front row, they're like, don't worry, says you've got this. They're trying to encourage me, but it was funny because I I I wasn't like worried about what, what I was saying. It was a moment where I was experiencing that truth in a whole new level because I was saying it in front of 200 people and it felt normal, whereas I couldn't even whisper it in my room alone without feeling stupid. And so I was like, you know, trying to pull myself together. I was like, I know, I know, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. I'm just like amazed. I'm actually just. I'm, I'm just feeling like I'm witnessing the, the testimony of truth in my life where I went from hearing something that sounded alien, foreign, even uncomfortable in my mouth, to now being something I just casually pull out in front of 200 people. Like, it's like, oh, I have brown hair, blue eyes. I'm loved. <laughs> I am a lover, and I live in the love of God. I am loved. I am a lover, and I live in the love of God. Most I am statements want to hit on our identity. That's why it's so important that we're careful about what we say about ourselves. Too often we're like, oh, I'm stupid. Oh, I am lame. Or, you know, we make these I am statements, we don't realize the power in our words that our spirit is witnessing us. We're hearing ourselves. And when I, when I actually got to the point where my truth was something personal and I could make that statement, I realized, wow, okay, God, you're good. You're really good. I'm, I'm so glad I stuck at saying that thing every day until it, it made its home in my heart. So speaking out the truth versus experiencing the truth and the way it transformed my life. I'm just going to go through two points on what I believe are two areas that can shape our identity or that want to lie to us about our identity. And I call them two major areas that impact our identity. So if you're taking notes, these will be the two things to like be aware of. The first one is culture. You know, society has a lot of opinions on what is valuable and what is worthy. And we need to be really aware of that. You know, we're made in God's image. 
you know, we're male and female, but society and culture has tried to define what is masculine and what is feminine. I'm gonna go there. <laughs> I've prayed a lot about this. <laughs> I think it's changing, praise God it's changing, but I grew up with a culture that was boys don't cry and girls should wear makeup. Boys play rugby and girls cook. Now, there's nothing wrong with boys playing rugby and there's nothing wrong with girls cooking, but girls can play rugby and boys can cook. They're cultural things that define what's normal and anything outside of that is not okay. Whereas we should be allowing truth to disciple us, not culture, not society. It should be a kingdom culture. And I think it's done a lot of damage to people's identity that they feel weird and different and even not who they are because it doesn't fit into these tiny little boxes that society has determined is a person's identity. But we're called to be people of truth. And I'm gonna say this again, you know, how will you identify a lie unless you know the truth? Society has spoken a lot of lies over people's identity. And I wanna, I wanna just remind you that you can hear the truth and that God wants to speak the truth to you. And I'm so glad that Michael heard from the Lord to just pause and give God space for that. Because I think God wants to actually reveal some lies that you've been believing that you don't even know you've been believing. I remember picking up skateboarding as a sport and I loved skateboarding. But when I skateboarded, there were not really any girl skateboarders. And I had this like small identity crisis because I would love skateboarding. I would live and breathe skateboarding. I'd go to the skate park and I'd try and do all these tricks and I would, I would go to these underground car parks at, you know, after hours and practice, and I was really committed to the sport. But it always, it would always happen that when I would wear a dress or when I'd go out somewhere or I'd put diamond earrings on, people would, would comment, oh, I thought you were a tomboy. Oh, you're wearing pink? Oh, that's so funny, I don't believe you're a skateboarder. And it, it's silly. But it counts, it, it matters. There, there's statements that people make that wanna push you into thinking, oh, do I belong in this? Like, am I okay? And now I'm so proud of skateboarding and actually having more male and female you know, competitors. And now that it's in the Olympics, I think the world, it's on a world platform. But it's funny because it's now girl skateboarding is just amazing. And there's all kinds of girls like just shredding at skate parks. But back in the day, it was not normal. And it really made me grateful that I actually could listen to the voice of truth and allow God to shape my identity. Because I don't know when people would be like, oh, you're such a tomboy that you skate. And I would be like, well, who said skateboarding's a men's thing? Like, can it be a men's and women's thing? Like, I think both of us can skate, it's fun. You know, I'm gonna skate differently to the boys. I know that and I'm proud of that, you know? I am a girl, <laughs> I am well aware. And it's like these little things would just constantly happen. But now it's funny, like we're in a really special time, I think, with our culture where God's causing truth to become important. People are starting to question some of these cultural norms. You know, when I speak on culture, especially because I train a lot of missionaries, everyone has culture. You know, we have a culture from our nationality, but even culture within our churches and culture within our families. And you don't know you're part of a culture until you go overseas and you're the weird one. <laughs> or they're, they're all doing stuff differently. But the best definition I can give you of culture is your normal. And you participate in culture, you're, whatever you tolerate, it's creating culture. 
But we are people, we as followers of Jesus are in kingdom culture. And we've been given a new normal that might be weird to the world, but that's okay. We're fine with that. Because we're people of truth. We know who we are. We know who God's called us to be. So, Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you need to unlearn some things that you have been told about your identity that's been determined by culture and let God speak truth into that. All right, finally, the next one, point number two is comparison. Wow, comparison's a big one. I actually do entire messages on this, but we're just gonna hit on it for a little bit. You know, we compare ourselves with others. So culture is something that, you know, can happen to us, but comparison we do to ourselves. And we compare, it's okay to compare objects or things, like if I wanna get a good flight deal, I'll, you know, start to look at different sites. I'll compare prices. We can compare cafes, we can compare movies we wanna watch. That's all right. But there is no grace to compare people because there's no grace for us to sit on the seat of judgment and determine what is worthy. You know, we've got to be really, really careful with that. We need to have a fear of the Lord on comparison. When we compare ourselves with others, it's always going to lead to two things and they're both bad. So when you compare, you're going to think, oh, I'm better than that person. Not okay. Or that person's better than me. Both aren't kingdom thinking and not what God wants for you. You know, Martha compared herself to Mary and Jesus reminded her of what was important. Peter compared himself to John and what did Jesus do? Okay, what is it to you? Back to you, Peter. We're talking about our relationship. Jesus redirects his focus. So comparison is part of human nature, but we need to be really careful to call that out because it breeds insecurity in our hearts. You don't need to look to others to see if you're okay. You need to look to truth. You need to have your, your life like focused on the truth. As followers of Jesus, you have been awakened to your true identity. And you know, I love that we're singing about salvation today. And salvation has that word salve in it, which is one of the original words that comes from, which means to heal. I think God wants to heal our identity. And Jesus talks a lot about, you know, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. We are God's children. And when we don't know him, we're lost. And when we receive salvation, we are walking in alignment with the truth that we belong. Jesus was publicly affirmed as someone who belonged, who was loved. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in the church, or maybe you don't feel like you belong in a community of faith, but that's not true. <laughs> you were born, you were born for this. You were made for this. And God wants to probably align some truth in that area where you can really not try and like fit into a mold because that's not what belonging, true belonging is. It's not about looking like a clone. It's about knowing that you're accepted, knowing that you're loved, knowing that God is, he might call out stuff, but it's okay because he's making you more into who you were called to be. You know, he's created you, he's created your personality. You're creating your character, that's on you. But God wants to help you build a Christian character that looks like Jesus. And you know, that's why repentance, as I've talked about before, is a beautiful thing because we're turning away from the lies. We're turning away from the sin, which has tried to define us. A lot of what we've engaged in has made us feel gross about ourselves, made us feel shame, made us feel guilty. And we're, we're even like stuck in that where we don't even want to be known for who we really are. That's a lie from the enemy. Who you really are as a child of God. Shake off that sin. Like repent, turn away, ask God to give you a new heart. Ask God to make you hate that sin. 
because he can do it because it's not going to help you be a lover it's not going to help you to receive the love that god wants to give you your identity must be defended by truth and shielded by faith defended by truth it's a sort of truth when the lies come you're pulling out the truth shielded by faith you know faith is being in agreement with who god is and that extends to your identity like is god in agreement with your opinion of yourself there should be a holy fear over that fear in the sense of concern we need to be concerned that you know it hurts the heart of god that we would feel less about ourselves god wants us to and in australian culture we're kind of so worried about being full of ourselves that we don't want to like think too well of ourselves because you know like might get rejected or might get cut down you're not doing anyone favors with false false humility you know or inferior pride you need to walk in the truth of your identity and if you have an identity that's solid with the lord you're going to be strengthened in that you're going to be able to withstand any job placement any financial status any relationship changes you know anything like retirement, anything that people are typically call identity crises, you don't have to go through. Sure, it'll be changed. Sure, it might be turbulent, but you will be steadfast because truth is consistent. It's steadfast. It can withstand, it anchors us. So we are called to be people of truth. It's time to call out the lies you have been believing about your identity. I want to finish with just a final word, and this is particularly for Generation Z. So if you were born between 1995 and 2010, can you just give me a wave? 1995 and 2010, okay, awesome. All right, you are Generation Z. And I'm just gonna say it, you're actually my favorite. I know I'm Generation Y, and my generation had its own characteristics, and it was really cool, and then there's Generation X, and there's the baby boomers, and there's a silent generation. They're all the generations we have data on. But Generation Z, let me tell you about what society says of you. You don't like labels. You're digital natives. You're ethical. You're realistic. You're calling things out that my generation and generations before you should have. You know, you're asking questions that are important. But my favorite thing about this generation, and this is from research companies such as McKinsey and Pew Foundation and all these places, they're saying that the search for truth is at the root of all Generation Z's behavior. You have a really strong value for truth. And I believe that God has marked your generation with a value for truth because it's almost part of your identity as a, as a generation, truth. You're the ones that are like, you know, requiring leaders to be accountable. And sometimes you're going about that in a non-honoring way, but I feel like God wants to actually redeem that and show you that the truth, if the truth is a person, if the truth is important, then the nature of truth is love. We can speak the truth in love. And God wants to disciple, I think, Generation Z, not just to be people of truth, but to be able to speak the truth in love. And so if you are marked with truth, if this is something on your generation, if this is something that even like, society is witnessing and has data on you about, then I want to ask you, you know, the enemy is going to want to deceive you. If truth is something that God has put in you and it's something you already value and desire, the enemy is going to want to deceive you. So I just felt when I was praying for you this morning, you need to seek God's truth, not worldly opinion. 
It might feel true, it might look true, it might be popular, but you know what truth is. Truth is not something, it's not, it's not a possession we acquire and then we use it against others. The truth is a person, it's relational. We have a relationship with truth and it's that truth that wants to teach us to love because we need the truth to teach us to love. And so I just wanted to finish with actually praying for Generation Z and um, all the parents of Generation Z and like guys are stoked. But you know, I, I think Generation Z, you are, you're a generation of influencers and I feel like your influence is obvious on social media, but you don't even understand that in my lifetime, I have seen you call out companies to now we, we have an emphasis on ethical manufacturing. Like I can't go to Cotton On or a place without being asked if I wanna like engage ethically. That was not a thing when I was growing up. I think the body shop was the only one that talked about ethics and consumerism. Whereas generations ahead, you have started something in your short time on earth that has been a cultural shift. And I think there's more to come. The generation coming up next, uh, born like, I guess like, yeah, between now and 2010, sorry, now and 1995, they're called Generation Alpha. We don't have heaps of data on them yet, but I know that they're compassionate and they're kind. And you can see that with young people at the moment, they're so kind. But Generation Z, you will be the ones discipling them. So how are you going to call out their true identity and help them see what God says that they are? So Generation Z, I'm gonna pray for you, and I'm gonna pray that God not only would reveal truth to you, but that you would see that it's okay. It's okay to question, it's okay to seek, it's okay to, to want to understand. It's not weak faith, and it's not like, not loyal. <laughs> But God actually is stirring something in you to question so that he can answer and he can provide. So Lord, and the rest of us, let's just agree in prayer with this if that's okay. Lord, I want to pray for Generation Z right now. I want to thank you for this word and identity and this word and truth. And I just pray, God, that you would, that you would define their identity. Lord, I just want to ask that you would reveal any lies, any deception, anything that they have been deceived to believing is true about them that's not from you, God. I pray that you would open their spiritual ears to listen and to hear your voice. And God, I just pray that you really would give them that shield of faith that would be able to defend them from the fiery darts of the enemy, from the culture and the comparison and what society says and the opinions of others. God, I pray for a steadfastness on this generation, that you would really show them, God, what is truth. And that, Lord, this truth would make its home in their hearts that God, you would be the truth that is the helper, the comforter, and that there would be a generation of freedom. I just feel like God has freedom for you this year. Freedom from anxiety, freedom from fear, freedom from shame, freedom from comparison, and freedom from not feeling good enough, uh, freedom from insecurity. There's so much freedom for you guys. You're not even gonna recognize yourself at the end of this year. Father, I just pray that you would just, yeah, do what only you can do, God and that you would finish what you started in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. I'll leave it there.